This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of the Art of War podcast. Joining me today, I'm very excited to say, is uh, one of my old partners in crime, Josh Maxson, who was on the uh, Muse on Minis podcast with me, and Trevi the Not-So-Great. So say hi, guys. Hello. Hi. I'd like everyone to know that I have not done any crime with John at all. We're not partners in any crimes. That's actually a very good point to make. Uh, I didn't. I never knowingly committed a crime with John. <laughs> Great. All right. Fine. Anyway, today I'm just excited to catch up with uh, Josh and you, Trevi, both. Um, so why don't we start, uh, Josh? Why don't you tell me about? I'm sure people want to know, like, what have you been up to? Like, what kinds of games are you playing? You know, what's what's your gamer life look like? I haven't been committing any crimes, John. Okay. I haven't okay, been we covered that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, I don't play privateer press games anymore. Um, so, uh, not playing a, a, a ton of games, honestly. Um, I've been playing uh, some Batman miniatures game from Night Models, which I quite like. Uh, so, I have a little podcast going with uh, uh, Colin. Uh, Richard and um, Nigel and uh, John Eggers, um, and uh, we talk about Batman the Miniatures game, and that's uh, Gotham City Podcast Department. If you have any any interest in hearing that kind of stuff, um, where can uh, where can they find that, Josh? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I know we're on Podbean and on uh, Apple, whatever that the Apple. Uh, I don't have an Apple. In case, in case you can't tell, I don't use any Apple products. So, uh, whatever the Apple podcast uh, um, uh, app is, we're on there. Sure. Uh, and I think we leave it at this. If any of you want to find Josh's podcast, you just hit him up on Facebook, and he'll be glad to direct you to it. That's true. That's true. Um, there you go. If you ever listen to the Muse on Many stuff, which those would be the only people interested in listening to our podcast. I think it's still through that same channel too. So, oh, it's still in the Muse podcast feed, probably. I, we used to be. There was there was some discussion about whether we should continue being, but uh, you can at least get on Facebook, Facebook, and look up GCPD, and we'll have links in there. So, cool. Yeah, that's awesome. How about you? How about you, Trevi? What are you up to? What's your gamer life look like these days? Uh, playing some 40k uh, in a shocking turn of events. Um, also playing some Crisis Protocol. That game is sick. So yeah, that's been a lot of my time for the last two weeks or so. Nice. So Crisis Protocol. That's the new game put out by the new studio Atomic Atomic Mass Games. Is that them? Yep. 
you nailed it. Good job. I'm proud of you. Uh, you know, <laughs> I I only have one mistress at this time, and it is 40k. And I've already been, Josh. You'll be surprised. I've already been called out by the 40k community for like being a uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing, basically, because I made so much fun of 40k over the years. Um, yeah, no, I was I was definitely going to get into that later when you started telling me that I should play 40k. I was going to ask about whether I should listen to the you now or the you then, like. Which which one's Don and which one's John? That's all I want to know. <laughs> right. Oh, I well, think it was. I think it was very deserved shit giving. So I think uh, I think John's in the clear. Honestly. Yeah. Honestly, to be very honest, the company is very different, and the game is very different now than you probably remember, Josh. And we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it. Uh, I would say that I was accurate back then when I criticized GW and 40K, and uh, I would say that I'm pretty accurate now when I fanboy about them because they do a lot of really smart stuff. So they're not perfect, but um, they do the kinds of things that I really appreciate as a competitive-minded person that likes to play games. So, so what you're saying, John, is that you're always right. No, I'm almost never right, but in this particular oh. two instances, I was. So. <laughs> These are the two instances in which you were right. Correct. So it's a okay. statistic anomaly, is what you're saying. <laughs> this is why... This is why Trevi is on this podcast, by the way, because I knew you would not take anything I said seriously. (laughs) At least least Trevi could back me up a little bit, right? Well, that's good. I'm the foil to the foil. Yeah. I just, now that that you've migrated to a whole new uh, realm of gamer, I just want to make sure that they understand what they're getting into when they listen to you. That's all. That's all I wanted to be here for, you know? Just to Keep, keep it real. Just to just to warn, to be the beacon on the hill. <laughs> the beacon on the hill. Yeah. So uh, honestly, you know, there has been no Don Jamera sightings since I started 40K. He's, uh, he's pretty yeah. much. He, he's long gone. Don Don Jamaris is a P, he's a PP man apparently. Apparently, yeah. Anyway, um, so let's let's get into 40K a little bit. So Josh, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a primer, and then we'll open it up to some questions. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some of the things that I really, really like about 40K right now is GW is committed to having a balanced game. So they've done things like put in a rule of three, for example. So like you can't have more than three of anything in a list except for troops and transports. And that stops them from breaking the game by accident by if they release something that's a little bit underpriced. Um, they've also shown that they're willing to make emergency fixes. So there was a codex that was released for Space Marines called Iron Hands. It's a codex supplement, actually. And they had like an 83% win rate over two weeks because they track all the stats. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, this is probably a little too good. So they put like just a crap ton of nerfs on them. And now they're at about like a 60% win rate, which is still on the positive side of being very good, but not broken anymore. And they did that within two weeks like they got the data and then they just fixed it, which for me is like, oh my God, if I could have gotten Bradigus fixed back in the day, you know, or Morvana 2 or whatever, insert broken circle caster here, um, <laughs> I would have been very excited <laughs> about it. Uh, so the game balance is actually pretty good. And the other thing I will say that really surprised me is 40K is a much more skill intensive game than it was, I feel like, because it used, I remember playing back in the day. And it used to feel like parking lots, like you parked your tanks on one side, they parked their tanks on the other side. You drank beer, you rolled dice, you picked up models, you had a good time. Like that was kind of the extent of it. But now there's a tons of stratagems and psychic powers and, um, you know, tooling out your lists. And then there's tons of movement options and there's a lot more terrain in the game now. There's been a real emphasis on terrain, uh, really good scenario packet with uh, 
uh, ITC, and then they have some others that are also pretty good, but that's the one we'll probably talk about the most. Um, so the games have become very skill intensive, and if you look at results, the best players continually win because they're the best players, not because they just play the best thing, you know. Um, so that's that's pretty interesting too. Uh, Trevi, did you want to jump in on any of that on your experiences with 40k so far? No, that all sounds about right. Um, I think I mostly agree with your assessment. Um, definitely the, the Bradigus uh, analogy is exactly the one I used when I was talking to some of my local players. Um, when Iron Hands came out, I was like, hey, we uh, survived Bradigus in War Machine, so we'll be okay in 40k too. Yeah. <laughs> we did survive. We complained about it a lot. But uh, the fact that GW has sort of got their, their hand on the pulse of the game, I think, is important, and that they actually pay attention to the stats as to what actually is happening in the meta. Um, the other thing that's, that's actually really super cool is that um, like they, they release balance updates three times a year. So they've got two, two facts. They have one in uh, April and one in, what is it, like September, August? I don't yep. know when the yeah, other fact is. September. September, yeah. And then they have a chapter approved every year where they readjust points, which just came out. It comes out, well, it actually was just announced and previewed. It comes out in like a week. But that typically comes out in December. And uh, so it allows them to like continually tweak the game. So if things get, if things are like not as egregious as Iron Hands were that we described earlier, but are like not being utilized or not really seeing play, like they'll cut the points on those things to try to get them on the table. Um, they don't do ridiculous things. They kind of take me a measured approach, but a lot of your models that you're not playing with now uh, could definitely get a boost in chapter approved. Like, um, for example, in this past chapter approved, there's this unit that I really like called uh, the Eldar Seer Council, and they went from... Hold on a second, guys. He's being robbed. Yeah. It's okay. Seamus can clean this up. No problem. Thanks, Seamus. You're the best. He is a good, he is a good man. What would John do without you? Yeah. Sorry, I'll be I'll be back in just a second. Give me no give me like two minutes. Okay. Oh good. Now we get to talk about Josh without him being here for two whole minutes. Right? I miss podcasting with Josh. He's my bro. Yeah, old school music on minis was uh, my favorite. It was a good podcast, right? I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, like we, uh, um, yeah, you guys had good chemistry. Like, whew. we really did. We had good chemistry. We had good content too. Like, I mean, the content obviously varied. When you do something for, I don't know, we did that for like eight years or something silly. Um, you're gonna have ups and downs, but I think, I'll, especially early, our content was really good. Like, I really feel like we taught a lot of people how to play war machine competitively. Yeah. For, yeah. I, um, I, I usually consume way too much content anytime I start a new game. So when I started war machine, I, uh, um, listened to a lot of you guys in quick succession and it was an experience. Right. Yeah. I could buy that. I could buy that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good to, especially being, competitive players it's good to listen to like people's experience in tournaments and things i think that's a lot of people don't like listening to that or some people do i don't know it seems like people always have different complaints about it but um talking about like games you played in tournaments and weird like interactions that you saw and stuff like that i think is really important to learning the game and not a lot of podcasts tend to start shy away from that and you guys did it a lot so that was 
always fun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And we had the benefit of having some really good players on the podcast. Like Keith was ridiculous. Yeah. He might be the most naturally gifted war machine player I've ever seen. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. He can definitely, I mean, he played good stuff too, but it was, <laughs> he, oh, uh, sure. definitely held up, I think for a while. Oh yeah. And then Chad was always really solid. And then uh, I was pretty solid when I got practice. I just didn't get a lot of practice towards the end. And then um, Josh actually was actually very sort of underrated. He's a very good player. Quick, be quiet. He's coming back. <laughs> hush, hush. I won't tell him you said that. You should always tell me. Oh, we were just talking about like how great Muse on Minis was back in the day. John oh, yeah. said that you were an underrated War Machine player and that you had a lot of natural talent. Oh, I didn't say that. That's a lie. <laughs> you don't think you were an underrated player? I feel like you were an underrated player. I think if you had, if it had been important to you to win and you had invested in it, like maybe Keith did, you probably would have been very good. And that's okay. Like not everybody has to make that kind of investment into something, right? But oh, sure, sure. I don't think Keith, I don't think Keith was good just because he played a lot. No, Keith was. I actually said Keith was the most naturally gifted War Machine player I think I ever saw. That's yeah, really how I described him. Yeah, yeah, just, I'd agree with that. Yeah, just had a mind for it and was always a step ahead. So um, yeah, yeah. Never got his uh, galleon uh, lightsaber though. You know, that's true. Yeah, he never had that experience. That I takes. It would have crushed him to the point that he he would have forgotten all of that previous talent. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Wait, wait. Weren't you guys the guys that had the game where Josh? You literally were like, I don't understand why this model's in this list, and then you got assassinated by it. No, is that that game? No, you are thinking about the game where I got Shay assassinated by Haley, um, but it wasn't like an issue of I don't understand why this model's in the list. It was just, uh, oh yeah, I guess. Uh, he can go that far. Oh, yeah. Anyway. It was Dynamo, right? Dynamo got yeah. me. Yeah, yeah Dynamo. Dynamo. Yeah, Dynamo got me. Yep. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess that's a fair point, I suppose. I definitely um, poo-pooed Dynamo on the list. You're just okay. like, I don't understand why this is on the list. That was, I, I remember that conversation. Yeah, 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 yeah. not always great. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Sometimes I misremember things, and I've learned that about myself. So, <laughs> but I, I definitely... I've definitely been on the receiving end of uh, of some Trevi bombs for sure. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice patented Trevi Trevi trivia. That's right. Nice. That's right. So, Josh, another uh, another uh, like a unit that I really like is Seer Council, and in this last chapter, approved they went from sixty points a model to forty eight points a model which is a 20% decrease, which actually makes them a pretty competitive choice now, where a lot of people would say they're a very, a very good unit, but they were a little bit overcosted. So, um, you know, GW is actually making positive changes. So I guess so, I just want to kind of stop, stop there and let you start asking questions, I guess. 
Uh, and the jury's still out on whether John is responsible for the points decrease of this year council. So that was, that was where I was. Some money might have changed hands. Yeah. We're, That's we're exactly sure. where I was going to go with that. I was like, were you playing the Sierra Council before they got their points decreased? I, I, I had, yes. I was excited uh, to play them because they are I mean, a very janky unit. They're a very John unit. So. Uh-huh, uh-huh. As in, like, good but underrated? Uh, yeah. yeah. As in, as in basically, uh, like, the second best thing in the meta, but everyone's so focused on the best thing in the meta that no one pays attention to the second best thing. Oh, I never played anything good, Josh. Most of the time, I just tooled around with Protectorate or whatever. So. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Checks out. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, so my first question for you, John, is um, if you made a sweater out of a pirate, what would you call the fabric? Josh, we did all the pirate jokes, right? Where did you find this one? I just made it up today. <laughs> uh, okay, Josh, what what would you call the fabrics? Coarse hair! Yar! Oh, man, that's a good one. <laughs> Yarn! That's, <laughs> that's, that's as good as the rest of them. I'll say that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, podcast done, I think, so... <laughs> That's a good one, guys. <laughs> I forgot how much I could die. How We're much done. you could make me die inside with the stupid pirate joke? Like, oh, oh, yeah. all right. so good, so good, so good. I liked it, Josh. Thank you, thank you. you any, I think every, you have an encore. Do I have an encore? I mean, not right the second. Oh, no. <laughs> you'd be busy googling latest cutting edge pirate jokes. You just wait. Like, Hey, uh, you go on the dark web. There's some. There's some good sites. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Very yeah. cool. Very yeah. cool. So anyway, Josh, I think you should play 40k with Trevi and I because um, one of the things I'm most excited about is they're bringing a lot more team formats uh-huh. uh, to 40k. And Trevi, are events. you are you in Iowa now? Am I in Iowa? Yeah. Oh no. Oh, no, it's I'm gonna be hard. Kidding. It's gonna be hard to play with Trevi, John. Well, we, sure. can, we can go to events together. Like, there's, there's these cool convention things, though. I think you've heard of them. Oh, okay. People go okay. to them and then they play games. Uh, yeah. Of like, yeah. I don't know, maybe forty k. Maybe forty k. I've seen a. I've seen a few. I've seen a few. Yeah, actually, Josh, forty k has taken off so much right now. Can you guess how many players are in the LVO forty k championship? Sixty four. No, a little bit more. A mm, hundred and uh, twenty eight. Uh, no, nope, good little guess. Bit. You're getting closer. <laughs> you, you are yeah. getting closer by virtue of your going up. <laughs> so no uh-huh. more. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's more than one hundred twenty eight. That sounds miserable, actually. <laughs> <laughs> they have they have a thousand unique players registered for that one tournament. Holy smokes! They're going to run a thousand-player tournament? Yeah. It's going to be nine yeah, rounds. So, it'll That's, get to uh, Are you guys playing in the thousand-player tournament? I'm going to play in it, just, just so I can say, say I could did it. 
you know, uh-huh. I just think it's kind of uh-huh. cool. Uh, but it, it blew John my mind. Nine around. rounds of taking your models off the table, putting them on a tray, then taking them to the next table, and then taking them off the tray and putting them on the table. Are you sure you can I'm handle aware. that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm aware. Do they, I play, dude, does, I play, do they have caddies? I play low, no, but I play low <laughs> model count lists for a reason. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Trevi, are you going to play in the, in the thousand person tournament? I'm not. I uh, yes. I believe that the tournament was sold out pretty quickly after I started playing 40k. So, uh, well, let's let's yeah. say hypothetically that they were like, "Hey, LVO has 999 players, and then one space available for Trevi." Would you be like, "Yeah, I'll sign up for that"? Um, they made a space just for me. Is the ticket free, or do I have to pay for it? You, you have, have to pay for it. You have, own, you, you have to pay for it and pay for your travel and everything. Yeah, so um, I would. I just have another convention locally that I'm going to the same weekend, um, which is honestly why I didn't really try to get to LVO this year. Okay. Because oh, yeah, Captain Con's the same weekend as LVO, right? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's Captain Con weekend, so. It's like yeah. always, like the last few years, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they always kind of stack up that way. Um, but yeah. yeah. So until I become the greatest one hammer forty thousand player ever, which will be in like six months or so, um, then <laughs> I, I probably won't be going to LBO. Yeah. So maybe next year uh, after I win every tournament that happens. Okay. Okay. A thousand players. That sounds. That sounds rough. That sounds like a magic GP. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although. Uh, <laughs> Interestingly enough, Josh, I found that the 40K community is almost identical to the War Machine community as far as like, for the most part, people are sweet. A lot of people are sort of middle-aged or older, um, and so they're competitive without being a douche. And then there's a few of that guy around, but usually we just basically shout them down until <laughs> they go away. So. Well, yeah. I mean, you're at yeah. the tournament, and then there's a few more. Oh, that's cold, Josh. It is ice cold. Ice cold. Yeah. <laughs> it ruined me. Well, you know what's really funny is there, there'll be a lot of people that listen to this that don't understand that we're really good longtime friends and will probably <clears throat> think that, that you just I'm a, I'm a, No, you're 100% going to get like a lot of negative. I'm actually looking forward to the amount of negative feedback about this cast you get. Like, why did you have that asshole on? So <laughs> he, knew nothing, he knew nothing about 40K. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's the Although, point of this podcast, because there's a lot of uh, War Machine players that have actually hit me up, Josh, that have said, can you tell me about your transition to 40K? Like, why are you playing 40K? Is it any good? You know, so I thought a podcast that I could point them to would be really helpful. And then I thought, what a good excuse to get the band back together and talk to some of my bros and, sure. uh, you know, get them on here. So. I will say for your listeners, I am not like a total stranger to 40K. I have played uh, as early as Rogue Trader at the tail end of it and played up through, I want to say it was 4th edition 40K. Somewhere in like the 2000 to 2004 range is about when I stopped playing. I'm not sure if that was 4th fourth, fourth at that time, but that feels right to me. Um, so I have, you know, I have played the game, uh, played some Space Wolves and some Tau and uh, a little Eldar. I uh, always like playing Sam Hain. Um, Sam Han. Yeah, so, however, 
I think we were probably in a pretty similar position there than Josh because I, I played uh, third, fourth, and fifth edition when I was in school. Yeah. Um, and we, we probably had a similar experience because, like, the game was, I mean, it was, like, the only game in town, basically, but looking back on it, like, it was pretty rough. Um, and I think that, that's where a lot of the negativity to 40K from outside of the 40K community comes from uh, because the older editions were just, like, poorly designed in general. Um, but like John was saying, like, the companies turn around, and I think they've done a lot to make to improve the game. Um, it has a resource mechanic now, which I think which is very important. Um, and very cool. It gives you access to uh, abilities that, you know, you can use to buff your models. And every uh, faction has a different selection of uh, the stratagems you can use. Um, and how you build your army, uh, if you take more of like the basic, you know, kind of grunt troop guys, you'll have more of uh, these command point resources you can spend. Or you can, you know, decide to forego that and you can just take more of the elite guys. Um, and you can mix up your force organization kind of however you want. So there's like a ton of flexibility there. Okay. Well, uh, let me ask then, uh, to me, the most important thing in a competitive miniatures game is movement. It's literally one of the reasons why I have always sort of mild uh, 40k, because uh, what John described earlier, yeah, that's my, that's my experience, that's my memory of 40k, as well as um, sort of, even now, like every now and then I'll turn on a random battle report that pops up in one of my YouTube feeds and like watch it for a little bit. And it definitely seems like there's quite a bit of, uh, maybe we moved out our, our deployment zone to some like circle that was important on the table. Um, maybe we didn't, uh, our guns reach anyway. Uh, there's one, like, maybe one charge turn and it's just a bunch of, of dice rolling. So how is movement in this game? Trevi, I'll let you go first, and then I'll give my answer. So, Okay. Yeah, so it's uh, sort of blazingly fast compared to uh, what it was in the past. Uh, every unit in the game having a standard movement, which is, I think, six inches back in the day. Uh, everything has its own movement value, so um, there, there tends to be a lot of infantry that's like seven or eight inches, and then you can use abilities to increase that typically. Uh, so that makes things a little bit faster, but then you have, um, you know, obviously faster unit types like bikes and jet bikes and uh, speeders and stuff are going to be a lot quicker than that. Um, but a lot of the special abilities that you have access to in your, you know, your psychic spells and your stratagems uh, can do a, a ton to uh, increase the mobility of your army, kind of in some cases to sort of, sort of ludicrous levels. Uh, the army that John was talking about, the Seer Council list, uh, I think can can project some really ridiculous threat ranges. Um, he can get to melee, uh, I think, reasonably at around 40 inches. Does that sound right, John? Yep. It's 40 plus. Yep. Um, yeah. um, and I played Tyranids, uh, who can do a similar thing. They can put models in melee uh, 45 to 50 inches away. Um, so you have a lot of much longer threat ranges. Um, and then with uh, some of the, the sort of terrain rules that typically get used in tournaments, um, the terrain becomes very important as well. And so jumping between pieces of terrain to get to your objective is also important. So even like the smaller movements uh, where you're just maneuvering your infantry units around is going to be pretty impactful as well. 
So, and, and Josh, movement is, if you talk to, you know, my podcast, Art of War, we interview all the best players. And I think every player we've had on has basically emphasized that the movement phase is the most important phase of the game. Um, even the Tau player is talking about how he's moving all of his stuff to uh, achieve objectives. So one of the nice things about 40K now is we have a good mission set. And a lot of the missions require you to be in multiple places on the table. Um, and just to break it down very simply, basically, if you hold more objectives than your opponent, you score more towards the victory than they do, right? Um, if you kill more than your opponent, you score more towards the victory. So it's a very simple, you know, just just simplifying it a little bit. There's more to it than that. But so there's a big thing where people want to have board control, where they want to be able to move to areas of the board and kind of control it by having models there um, and score points towards victory. So if you watch a lot of 40K games now, you'll see a lot of the table is utilized in a lot of matchups. Now, it's all matchup dependent. Sometimes you're forced into turtling really hard um, for a few rounds until later, later in the game. A lot of armies will do that as a strategy, like they'll turtle in a corner because they literally can't do anything else because, um, for example, Gene Steeler Cult, they take the whole board because they can. They have all these like ambush tactics where they can come in from anywhere. So if you're not like in a tight ball, like they'll take you apart piecemeal. So you're kind of forced because you're playing against that army to sort of bunch up early and sort of survive the the initial assaults and then force them to play a more honest game later. But you know their stuff dies really fast and easy. So it's not it's not like an arduous thing to do. It's just a different strategy. Um, so like in short. Um, there's a ton of movement in the game. There's uh, dedicated assault forces that move a really long ways. Like a 22 or a 23 inch charge is not uncommon for a dedicated assault unit. Um, and then there's some exceptional assault units that are basically pumped up by spells. So there's a, a series of spells called like Warp Time or a, for Eldar, it's Quicken, um, where they allow you to move again. So like if you have a bike unit, uh, you move 16 inches, you cast that spell, you move 16 more, and then you charge, you know, 2d6, uh, that kind of thing. So that's, what, 39 inches or something. But there's also spells that give you bonuses to your charge and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, that's, in a nutshell, you know, that's that's the game. Movement is the game, and um, controlling the board is the game in a lot of ways. So the, you can you can win a game of 40k now without killing a model. Like, you can do that just by... Um, playing the mission really hard and winning on mission like you can get i've seen a lot of games go where people get tabled and still win because they won the mission so the game is is very tactically deep actually right now did that answer your question oh uh, yeah i think so um i guess i have a, a follow-up based on what both of you said so you're you're both describing extremely uh, long threat ranges for a variety of units, and that in and of itself is like a little bit of a red flag to me throughout the experience with other miniatures games, because uh, when you start having extremely long threat ranges, um, that also can make the movement phase not matter as much anymore, uh, by virtue of the fact that you can go wherever you need to go. Um, now, I know you're playing on a 4x6, right, as opposed to like a 4x4. Um, so that that does uh, stretch things out a little bit, but um, how do those uh, exceptionally long threat ranges play in the game? Do you still have that dance of um, you know, like I will try to stay out of your threat range while um, using either uh, uh, 
long-range weaponry or using the scenario itself to encourage you to come in, you know, into my threat range, and you kind of dance back and forth. Because um, that's a lot of what I enjoy about a good, a well-designed movement hey. system. Let me talk to you about the dance in the game. The dance is a little different than you're probably used to. So it's not so much... In War Machine, it was very much knowing your threat ranges. And like if you had the greater threat range, just parking right outside of their threat range. And that was kind of a lot of the game. In 40K, the game is screening. So you put stuff you don't care about in front of the stuff you do care about. And you give your opponent the option. Like, sure, you can move your 40 inches and charge this thing I don't care about, this unit of scouts or this, this screening unit. And then I'm going to kill you in return. Um, the other thing that the other part of that dance is sure I can move 40 inches with um, my seer council, but I use that. I don't usually use that to go deep on somebody deep into their lines. Like I use it to nibble at the edges where you can go places where you're not expected to go. Because if if you just YOLO your your like seer council is like a 550 point unit, which is 25 percent of your points. If you YOLO that in the middle of their lines, they all die. So it, it doesn't really. It's not effective, right? So your opponent can set up things like counter charges or just things on their side of the table to make it not very enticing for you to go in there. Um, they can make it not very enticing for you to use that movement by putting stuff they don't care about in front of the stuff they do care about. So you can't actually get to it because you, you know, um, <clears throat> and so, and then they can also do things by uh, just sort of, um, you know, playing their game plan, right? So they may be forcing you to react to certain things. Like a lot of times they'll put something in a place, like they'll deep strike something, which is, you know, coming out of orbit. And uh, then I'll, I'll need to deal with that. So then I'll use my fast movers to go deal with a flank that I wasn't expecting to collapse, that kind of thing. How about you, Trevi? What do you think? Yeah, so I think one thing to kind of think about in the game um, is that from like a war machine perspective, uh, the armies that you're playing with are much larger. Uh, even a small model count list is oftentimes, you know, 30 or 40 models. Um, and un unlike War Machine, uh, you know, there isn't that dance of being out of people's threat range, but mitigating the damage that your opponent can do is a big part of it. Um, so a lot of people complain that it's like, oh, it's a first-turn game, and whoever goes first is going to shoot the enemy off the table. And uh, assuming that you're playing with, you know, a, a tournament set up of terrain and you deploy well, uh, you can sort of force your opponent to have to overcommit to get those kills on the first turn by, you know, playing KG. You're still going to lose something. Like, you're always going to lose something every turn, essentially, in a game of 40K because it's very lethal. Um, but if you make your opponent, you know, have to leave cover or have to, you know, move out of, you know, their, their line of sight blocking terrain where they don't want to, to be... Um, you can typically make it so that the second player actually has a pretty big advantage in a in a scenario game um, with proper play. So uh, there's not a lot of staying outside of threat ranges. There is some, you know, sort of screening and positioning that can mitigate, um, you know, how those real fast movers can you know, can hit you. But uh, typically, what you're you're going to be trying to do is put your opponent in a bad position uh, for when your turn comes around. Okay, friends uh, I followed like model releases, and uh, the trend in GW seems to be going towards these uh, bigger and bigger models. And I, when I'm playing a uh, a full up uh, army game as opposed to a skirmish game, I like having you know a bunch of units on the table. Is this a game that you know like are 
is dominated by these Adeptus Mechanicus type lists where there's you know five, six model like huge models, or um, do you still see quite a bit of um, you know real squad based sort of of lists? I'll tackle this one. Um, a lot of people play those like uh, Imperial Knight lists or Chaos Knight lists um, because they're cool models, right? And so if you go to a tournament, I think on average, 11% of the lists will be like a Knight's list. Uh, and that can fluctuate, right? Uh, so you can actually go to 40kstats.com and look. Um, but I almost always play one game against Knights at a tournament, like a five-round event, and that's about it. I play basically one game. So, and they're honestly not, they're, they're a list that will often go X and one. Like they're not really almost never. Do you see Knights winning a big event? Uh, but you will see some of them do piloted by pretty good players do pretty well because they're, they are powerful, right? So from a calculator perspective, uh, you have to have a plan for dealing with Knights if you're going to play competitively. Um, so like, all the I would say most of the um, more accomplished players uh, do pretty well into knights for the most part. Like they typically win those games. Although there are a, a couple of really well, well, at least one I can think of, one really known knight, well-known knights player. That's Junior Aflehi out in California, and he just got second or third at. Well, he was undefeated till the top table. I don't know what he ended up finishing at the SoCal Open with a three knight list. So, uh, which was interesting to see. But I think if you go to 40K Stats, Josh, what you'll see is lots of different armies with lots of different compositions are doing well, uh, So, which is kind of exciting because it means that it's pretty open to interpretation as to what you want to play versus, okay, I have 40K in the past was, you know, you'd go to a tournament and 40% of the tournament would be playing the same list. Like, that does not happen anymore. Like, that does not exist. So, Okay, well, as a follow-on from that, um, let's say I go to a tournament and I'm playing a competitive Eldar list. Does my competitive Eldar list look more or less like your competitive Eldar list? Or um, is there a large depth within factions for competitive list building? Depends on the faction. So um, some of like Eldari lists are a little different because they can play Harlequins, Dark Eldar, and Eldar in their lists. Imperial and Chaos both are the same way. They have lots of codexes to to choose from to build their list and be legal. Uh, whereas, like if you look at an army like Tau, they have a single codex, um, and some other stuff is not great. So, in the smaller pool list, you'll see those homogenize a little bit. Although there is some variety, um, but in the and the other end of the extreme, you'll see all kinds of things. So, like for example. Uh, I went to the Renegade Open, which I saw you at, which is actually how this kind of got started, I guess. Not really. I guess we talked about this before the Renegade Open. Doesn't matter. Besides the point, at the Renegade Open, I played Eldar. I played into the Eldar Mirror, and that guy had eight airplanes and 60 troops. And I had um, like big hulking monstrosities on my side of the board. I was playing grotesques, and I was playing um, some bikes and a bunch of wizards, right? Those lists couldn't be more different. They could not be more different, and we had a heck of a game. Uh, and then you will see like lots of people do different things within Eldar, because for, for example, so you'll see some people play Harlequins as a detachment. Um, they'll take the the Sky Reaver bikes. Uh, some people will take Dark Eldar. They'll take the the barges. Um, what do they call those things? Ravagers uh, with disintegrator cannons. Um, 
And there are some archetypes, right? So there are some things that you can expect. So like Eldar Flyers has been a very good list for a long time. Um, so that's sort of an archetype that you'll see. But even within the Eldar Flyer archetype, some people play six flyers, some people play nine flyers, some people play eight. They play different types of flyers. Like they mix and match. They play different like things that are on the ground, right? Um, so there's there's a lot of list diversity. Sometimes it's smaller changes, uh, like in Tau, for example, um, Brian Pullen and Richard Siegler are the two best Tau players in the world. Their lists are very similar in concept in that they play a lot of drones and they play uh, Riptides, which are an incredibly an incredible unit. But where they differ is like uh, Pullen, for example, plays a lot of marker light drones, and uh, Richard Siegler plays a lot of characters for his marker lights that carry marker lights because with the character really you can't target them. So they they have a different philosophy there. Um, Pullen plays Cold Star Commanders, which have huge movement but they have limited weapons. They don't have as good a weapons as uh, Richard's Cyclic Ion Commanders, for example. So these are all details that don't mean anything to you, but even lists that look very similar can have a lot of uh, devil-in-the-details sort of differences, right? So I don't know. Trevi, do you want to jump in on that? Yeah. Um, kind of going back to my earlier point that you, you do tend to have a lot of models on the table, and in your list you have a lot of you know, sort of room to build, um, so there's a million different, uh, you know, kind of subtle ways that you can change your list and your war gear around um, to, you know, sort of personalize how you use units. Um, and the game tends to be a lot more flexible than, um, you know, War Machine was. War Machine, by virtue of the scenarios and the mechanics, was, uh, you know, you kind of had a deployment that you did and then you, you executed your game plan and you played around what your opponent was doing and that was about it. Uh, whereas 40K uh, feels a lot more uh, sort of strategically fluid, I guess. Um, so you have a lot of ways that you can change how you play your list on top of just having a different, um, you know, uh, composition than, than what other people in your faction are doing. Um, you know, I could look at a bunch of different lists um, on, uh, you know, best of coast pairings or something, which aggregates lists from tournaments uh, that are from the same faction and have very subtle differences. And I, I could have, you know, very little idea of how, how those lists played because they're all very personalized and every person has a, you know, a lot of opportunities to make their list their own. But there, there are definitely lists that fall under archetypes. So the answer to your question is both yes and no. So there are some lists that are archetypical. So it'd be conceptually very similar to another list, but they can be very different. So they might be like even like an Eldar Flyers list might be, they might have a thousand points that's different between the two lists, but they both have a bunch of flyers, right? So that gets kind of categorized as a as, as that type the, of list. Yeah, that type of list. Right. You know, it's like uh like burn decks, you know, in magic. Burn decks can be different, uh, but still be the same. They're still trying, <laughs> you know they're still I mean? trying to kill you the same way. You still play against them right. the same way. Yeah. Um Yep, yep exactly. Uh, how, so, you know, earlier you guys were talking in the movement about, uh, sort of the idea of chaff or screening units, which I think has been an aspect of GW games since like the very beginning. I think it all comes from the old rank and flank Warhammer fantasy. Cause that was a, is obviously a key component to that style of game. But, um, uh, how do, you know, obviously space Marines have to be good because that's like GW's bread and butter, right? So how do elite units do in uh in this game how do elite armies do in this game you know do you see um is the old uh 
uh, what's the Dark Angels? Um, uh, Deathwing? Death, Deathwing. Is Deathwing like a thing? Is that a thing that you can play competitively? Or is that kind of, you're barking up uh, uh, a tree that uh, is hard to make work under the way that the rule sets work? So I will tell you that I played uh, Grey Knight Paladins competitively. Um, and they were they were a little bit overcosted, and re- I was really close to making them what I would consider to be uh, competitive, right? So um, I've gone four and two at major conventions with Grey Knights, and they're considered to be the worst codex in the game. And that was just with 30, literally 30 Paladins, which is 30 Terminators. Classic Terminators. Brag right here. Classic. No, it's, it's not a humble brag. <laughs> uh, but... <clears throat> That's fair. Call me out. That's good. Um, but what, John, I, what I'm actually getting at... <laughs> what's, what's that? I said it was just 4 and 2. It's not worth humble bragging. Yeah, no, no. 4 and 2 is nothing to brag about. I agree. Um, my point is that there are some elite armies, like some people play Custodes, for example, very competitively. Um, they're a little bit like... They're struggling. The elite armies definitely have a, a larger hill to climb in that board control is really hard with elite armies. But on the, the flip side of it, because of the way the scenarios are designed, elite armies tend to do better in the kill more um, category. Because like, if you think about it, if I've got a 500-point unit, and say, just, I'll just break it down really simply. I have four 500-point units. That's my whole army. Four 500-point units. You only get to kill four things in the entire game for the whole game. So you're not going to score kill or kill more on me. And if you've got like, you know, 120 guardsmen, so you've got 12 10-man units, I'm going to pick up two of those every round real easy, and I'm going to get kill more every turn. So it's sort of um, a way that sort of balances elite armies versus horde armies in that you get kill more and they get hold more, right? And then it's the game of, like, who's executing their plan better. So are scenarios always... Is the scenario always the same? No. Okay. Right now there's... Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Here, well, the, the, what's actually pretty interesting, um, one of the things I really like about the scenario packet is there's six different scenarios. And this and is six I, different deployments. The ITS scenario packet or whatever. ITC. ITC. Yep. 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 There's six different scenarios, and they range from placing three objectives to six objectives. So they're very different. Um, and deployments, you always roll a random deployment every time you play. So, like, a scenario plays very different on a different deployment. So the deployments are Dawn of War, which is the long edge of the table, right? Um, and then there's uh, Hammer and Anvil, which is the short edges. So if you can imagine like playing the long way, so longer ranges make more difference. Um, and there's two versions of each of those. And then there's a corners deployment where you each get a corner of the board to deploy in. And then there's um, Vanguard, which is like a weird diagonal uh, of the board that's cut up. That's all measured out. So like um, what makes, what makes the game really kind of fun is you can play against the same army twice, but have a different scenario and a different deployment. And it completely changes how the game plays, which is nice Um, because you know, a game fundamentally a game with three, uh, with three objectives is very different than a game with six objectives or a game with an even number of objectives is very different than a game with an odd number of objectives. So, um, that's it just uh it makes the it adds to the tactical depth of the game right so Trevor, do you, you want to jump in on that yeah um i think another thing that's important to think about when you're talking about the itc scenarios is that 
you also have some control over how you score uh, with secondary objectives. So there's sort of a list of um, sub-objectives that you can pick when you go to play a game. So you can kind of tailor your um, mission objectives to your opponent's list and what your list is good at. Um, so while uh, the objectives typically score their primary points mostly in the same way, um, and you can kind of have a plan to do that, what your opponent's bringing and, you know, how much pressure they're going to put on you and their, the composition of their, their units um, changes a lot of what your viable options and your secondaries are. Um, and so, you know, kind of, again, that, that compounds the, how different the scenario is uh, depending on who you're playing against. Yeah, I guess I didn't mention that, Josh. I think there's 20 different secondary objectives that you can pick, and they're they're all based on either killing something. So, like, Big Game Hunter, for example, is I kill four vehicles. For every vehicle I kill, I get a point up to four points. Um, so there's, like, these, these kill something objectives. So that's part of your mission. And then there's also, like, what we call stand here objectives. So um, one of them is called engineers, for example. So you can nominate a unit to be an engineer, and if they stay on an objective... Um, they score you a point if they begin their turn and end their turn on an objective and make no attacks. So you take a unit out of the game, but now they're going to stand here, and your opponent has the option to kill them, to deny you scoring points, right? So uh, there's just a lot of uh, objectives like that. There's a, an objective called Recon, which is if you've got um, a unit in all four corners of the board, basically if you were to cut the board into quarters, and you you where in all four, you'd score a point. So that's a stand to their objective, you know. And then there's like Reaper, which is for every 20 models you kill, you score a point. So if your opponent's bringing a horde of Termagants, you know, they have like 120 Gaunts or something, you know you're going to pick a bunch of those up. So there it is. And by standard um, objective, so you mean these are live in every, every scenario? Yes. The secondary objectives are in every scenario. And then what changes in the scenarios is how many objectives are placed and how you score a bonus point. So a lot of those bonus points are like one of them is um, if you have a character on three, there's five objectives in this one. If you have a character on three of the objectives, you score a bonus point at the end of your turn. So, you know, that's that's one that encourages you to like take over the middle of the board. And uh, <clears throat> uh, it's called Crucible of Champions. Another one, you get a bonus point if um, you like take over the objective that's in your opponent's deployment zone, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So they, they all have different sort of uh, ways that they sort of force engagement, but they all force engagement. Yeah. I just want to butt in here, John, real quick and uh, clarify that the secondary objectives are, um, they're choosable for every different mission, um, but you only get to pick three at the start of the game that you can score on. So not all of them are active all the time. Okay. Oh yeah. Gotcha. That's an important point. Yeah. So that's so, that's one of there's like this pregame ritual that you go through. You like, you know, roll your deployment, choose your deployment zones, uh, pick your. This is actually kind of interesting, Josh. You'll probably like this. You can pick your artifacts and I'm sorry, your relics and your psychic powers. So based on the matchup, you can change up sort of what your those pieces do in your list. Um, and then you also pick your uh, secondary objectives. So it's uh, there's a lot of customization that goes into your your game plan just based on like, Oh, I'm playing against this. I'm going to take this psychic power in this psychic power because I know that they're good in this matchup, but they may not be good in a different matchup. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah you almost have like a, a kind of sideboard in that way. Um, and it gets especially good if you can kind of build your list around it too. Uh, 
you know, you can have characters that you can swap between being powerful sort of support pieces uh, into being like real damage dealers. And depending on what the matchup is and what you need to kill um, in that particular game, then you can, um, you know, you can swap your roles around pretty well. It's a really interesting component to the game, for sure. All right, so another question about uh, a sort of dreaded aspect of playing in tournaments, at least back in the day. Um, how, you know, you talked about like, oh, you might play against the Adeptus, Adeptus Mechanicus or whatever, the Nightless, whatever whatever they're called, uh, like once in a tournament. How many games in a tournament do you play against a various uh, flavor of space movements? Um, I think by statistics right now, they're about 20% of the meta. Is that right? I could go look. Hold on. Let me go look. Um, the thing is, they I don't know if you've been keeping up, Josh, but they released a ton of um, supplements for Space Marine. So now there's a Space Marine Codex. Mm-hmm. And then there is um, um, a supplement for each of the major factions within there. So like you might play space Marines twice or three times at a tournament, but you might play iron hands once you might play white scars once and you might play ultramarines another time. So there's, there's a lot of diversity. Do they play significantly from each other? Or is it sort of like, yeah, I've got my list that can handle. Okay. So basically Josh, you know, you're asking, you know, um, are you going to play space Marines nonstop? And the truth is there's a lot more space Marines in the meta right now than there ever has been probably because it's the best space Marines have ever been in the game. Um, they just recently released uh, a Space Marine Codex and a bunch of supplements. Um, and so Space Marines are good. And everybody sort of dusted off their Space Marines that were in their closet because, like, I'm pretty sure probably three-fourths of the War, Mach- or the War Machine, the Warhammer community probably owns Space Marines of some sort. So, like, everybody owns Marines. Um, but I, I, I think... Space Wolves down in my basement like a Land Raider. That's, like, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. If I just... I don't know how accurate these numbers are, but I'm looking now, and it looks like um, they have 1,350 games played out of 6,000. So what is that, like 25-ish percent, 24-ish percent, something like that? Uh, yeah, it's 1,300. Uh, is, yeah, it's, it's a, a, little, a little under 25%. Yeah, so it'd be like 24, 23%, somewhere in that range. Um, but I, I expect that number to go down. So basically, uh, and GW has admitted to this, um, you know how like in Magic they push cards occasionally? Yeah. They pushed Marines because they were tired of Marines being, they were literally power armor, so it doesn't matter the flavor, power armor. Space Marines, Dark Angels, Blood Angels, anybody that had power armor, they were like the seven worst factions in the game. I'm not even kidding, for a long time for like a lot of 8th edition. So they intentionally pushed Marines, and then what they've said is they plan on giving everybody else buffs to catch them up to Marines. So Marines aren't like oppressive. It's not like um, back in the day where you had to play you know, this exact list or else you just lost because it was way more powerful than anything you played. They are, they are very good, uh, and they are a little better than most of the other factions right now, but everybody's getting these buffs. So like, Another thing I haven't told you about is um, GW does this thing where they they release uh, campaign books. So right now they're going through a series of them called Psychic Awakening, and every faction is getting buffs. And it's not just like a minor amount of buffs. So like, for example, the Chaos Space Marines, every Chaos Space Marine chapter got three pages of rules. They got new relics, 
They got uh, new um, stratagems, which are the things we told you, that resource that you manage, and something else. But basically, like everybody's getting attention and a lot of like new cool stuff, which is great. Uh, but it also um, means that the people that haven't had their Psychic Awakening book yet are probably a little behind um, everyone else. Uh, but I would say Marines are top dog right now. I would say Eldar is right there to be competitive with them. And I think Tau is also like right there uh, if it's played by a very good player. Um, and then there's a lot of other factions that are sort of just a cut below. Um, and then there's some that are really struggling. So and the ones that are really struggling, I think you'll see get adjusted pretty quickly. And that's like uh, Dark Angels, Blood Angels. I think Dark Angels just got a Psychic Awakening book. And I expect to see their win rate to go way up because they got a ton of really good stuff in that book. Um, uh, Grey Knights, but their scheduled their Psychic Awakening book comes out in January, I think. Um, so like it's, I guess the short story is the meta is always in flux. And things sort of like just in, I think I've been playing for um, since like May. So what is that? Or maybe April. So that's like seven, eight months, something like that. Nope. In that time, yeah, I've seen, right. yeah, I've seen um, Gene Stiller cult be at the top of the hill. I've seen Space Marines be at the top of the hill. I've seen Tau be at the top of the hill. I've seen, um, I'm trying to think if there's somebody else that I'm missing. Yeah, Eldar Flyers, I think, was the big like boogeyman when I started. Yes, Eldar Flyers was at the top of the hill. And that's just in, like uh, that's like yeah. every other month, something else was like the army du jour, so to speak. Um, yeah, one, so, one thing to keep in mind, I think, especially compared to sort of classic TW, is that their release schedule right now is, um, it's like an advent calendar. It's, uh, it's insane. Um, it's just constant uh, new things for different factions. And so, yeah, like John said, the meta is really sort of constantly fluctuating. So it's hard to get a read on, you know, what precisely is good. So typically, um, you know, you'll just, you'll, you'll pick a list and you'll get reps with it. And, um, you know, you, you'll, be, you'll have a pretty decent chance into whatever you run into at a tournament. I mean, I love it because it gives me constant reason to explore. You, you know how I like to tinker with lists. Yeah, so, for sure. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's one of the most attractive qualities of the game is that it is, uh, it's almost chaotic how fast things change. Um, but it's also really fun because you're always playing against new stuff. And sometimes it's surprise butt sucks, um, but that's, that's, that's War Machine in a, in a nutshell, right? A lot of times you ran into things you never ran into before and had to learn about it the hard way. So sometimes I learn kind of hard lessons in 40K, but um, I, I kind of yeah. cherish those. And then the differences in factions in 40K don't tend to be uh, sort of as, as large as they were in War Machine. So it's very rare that like you run into like Grimkin right after they come out and you just have literally no idea what you do. Um, like every, every faction uses the same core mechanics and you still, you know, roll against their defenses in the same way. Um, so you can formulate a plan basically all the time. Uh, but there's a lot of different abilities that, you know, you kind of have to look out for. You know, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this, Josh, but one thing that has surprised me the most about 40 K is the dice mechanics aren't near as bad as I remember. So I used to think the dice were terrible, but after playing quite a few games now, the dice tend to like even out throughout the course of a game pretty well uh, because well, you roll so many of them. What's that? Right. That's, I mean, that's always been their, their yeah. uh, method for breaking statistics. just rolling a crap ton of dice, right? Or not yeah. breaking them, but to, to get them to adhere. Cause it's still, I'm assuming it's still a single dice. 
a single die system, right? It's not a 2d6 system. Yep, except for like casting psychic powers is on 2d6 for some reason. Sure. Yeah, most of it sure. is, and charges are on 2d6. So I will say there are, yeah, there are occasionally like catastrophic dice rolls that can completely change the course of a game, but I, I feel like that happened in War Machine too. So um, it happens in any game that uses dice. Like that's just yep. just a reality of, of a dice game. Yeah, uh, like I was, I was, I was playing a game where I rolled um, five ones in a row row on charges. So you can spend a one of the things you can spend your resources on is to reroll a single die for for a CP, Josh. Helps mitigate those important dice rolls from going bad. But I rolled double ones on my charge when I needed a three or better to make my charge. Then I rerolled the dice and I rolled another one, and then I sent another unit in that also needed a three on their charge, and I rolled double ones, and that. That changed that game quite a bit, <laughs> but that's also like a, a pretty big anomaly statistically, like pretty hard. So this happen. 40k also uses, so the one GW game that I have played in the last, um, uh, I don't know, five years or so is AOS um, and only like two or three games of it, but uh, they use the same, uh, that same uh, random charge. Uh, mechanic that yep. AOS does. Yeah, okay. Not a huge fan of that, I will be honest. <laughs> yeah, um, that's fine. I, I actually thought I hated that until I started playing with it. Um, I actually kind of like it now. Because it adds, it adds a certain amount of um, like it adds a, a certain amount of play skill. Because you can do a lot of things to mitigate mitigate those. Um and so it's it makes the game more interesting at times, uh, also more frustrating at times. So I could see why you would dislike it, but it's non-deterministic. So sometimes, if you're in a winning position, it can screw you, and sometimes it, you know you can use it as a comeback if you're in a bad spot, but you get some good charges off. Um, it, there is a lot of sort of random RNG in 40k, especially compared to War Machine. Um, you the 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 rerolls do help a lot um but you know it is it's just sort of there and it's kind of endemic to the game so um uh that is i, I think that that is something to be sort of forewarned about uh if you go in assuming that it's you know it's sort of uh this pure you know pure skill game with no dice involved that's absolutely not true there's, there's going to be some random stuff that happens yeah but the best players do win all the time so there is clearly a skill element that uh is pretty prevalent. One of the things that's kind of cool, Josh, is they um, they actually have a ranking system in the ITC, so you can literally go look and see who's winning with what factions, um, and you can see who the best players are. You can see all their events and how they've scored and blah blah blah. So it's 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 a lot like Magic that way, I guess, um, where you can look at somebody's DCI ranking. Not anymore. It's not no, you can't look at ranking. Yeah, oh, DCI is not happening. They don't. Yeah, they don't do it that way. Um, they've got a different system. But it, your your uh, comparison is still apt, I think. So, um, yeah. Um, okay. Well, now, uh, if I'm going to play the game, what should I play? Um, we should talk about that. That's actually a discussion because. Like, what style of army do you want to play? Do you want to play an elite army? Do you want to play a horde army? Do you want to play what everybody is playing? Do you want to play, you want to chase the meta? Do you want to play what's best right now? Or do you want to play something that you love? So, like, there's so a lot of I places tend, to start. I tend to uh, 
not necessarily enjoy playing what everyone else is playing. Um, so Marines are. So I, I like I like to play something that's. Uh, uh, it doesn't have to be like a spe- super special snowflake, but if you know uh, the vast majority of people out there are playing something, I'll, I'll probably shy away from that specific thing. Um, and then I tend to like uh, armies that are dynamic, usually that have uh, quite a bit of movement, um, as well as a good mix of uh, abilities, uh, as opposed to being. Uh, you know, all people or all shooting or all magic or whatever the case may be. Uh, I like elite units, but I can definitely take a, a mix of elite and lesser units if there's like, I don't know, some, some cool powerful um, hammers to bring to bear. Um, that's that's probably generally the type of list I like to play. So the, the things that kind of jump out at me and just in your description, so we take Marines off the shelf. Um, I think chaos would be a really good home for you. They have a lot of like really interesting things that they do and the way they stack buffs like chaos. They're actually, they're kind of overwhelming because they have so many options, but it makes them very flexible. What's that? But some people don't like the aesthetic of chaos. So that's, I was, uh, I was, I almost, while I was giving my description said, uh, and then aesthetically, I hate chaos. I've always okay. hated these chaos. That's fine. But, That's fine. You know. you know what actually might be a really interesting army for you that you might dig is Admech. And, okay. Uh, they have a lot of really interesting rules and units. They do Those a lot the of really Martians, cool stuff. Right? What's that? They're Those the are what? the Martians. The Martians. Yeah, they're the, the Mar- like, they are the Martians. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, so I don't know if you like their aesthetic or not. That's It's kind I, of an acquired taste. No, I do okay. like that aesthetic. Yeah. So I think that's an army I would explore. The nice thing about playing Admech is it puts you squarely in Imperium, so you can always expand to other stuff. Like, you, like Admech can play a single knight in their army, and it counts as an Admech knight, which is kind of cool. So I know maybe you don't want to play a bunch of big, stompy robots, but having a single knight in your list can be kind of cool. Um, I like the idea of Admech for you because they have a lot of really interesting units, and they kind of, they kind of have a lot of that mercenary flair, um, I feel like that you liked because um, they were just different enough. Um, and they, they just, they, they have like some really unique, cool stuff. Like Admech is something that I've considered playing. Um, and then being, being an Imperium, uh, you get the option of expanding into anything you want on the Imperial side. So if you're like, oh man, I'd kind of like to play some Blood Angels, you can add a detachment to your army of Blood Angels. And that's kind of how the game works is you get three detachments to build your army with. So you might start with a pure admic list and then you might expand into like, okay, my admic list is I'm kind of weak against this. If I added, you know, like, I don't, I'm just making something up, but you could say like, gosh, I really wish I had a psychic presence. I'm going to add some gray knights to my list. So I'm going to make a gray knight detachment to go with my admic. And so now you've become an imperial list, which is totally legal. Uh, and you've sort of naturally progressed and expanded your army, but you can expand any way you want. So it just gives you ultimate flexibility. Um, so I, th- I think for you, I would recommend something in Imperial or something in Chaos. Other other options. I mean, are are there anything that that you like the look of? I mean, um, I'll tell you, Josh. If you want to just get your feet wet, I have a completely painted competitive tower army that I bought off somebody that you can certainly use as much as you want. Well, we definitely have at least a, a demo game to get it. Something. Yeah. Right, so. Yeah. Uh, I had actually gotten that I saw that Admech 
can become an army. Um, and I mean, it ties back into my original, uh, uh, you know, rogue trader playing days, um, as well as I played. GW had released a, like an Inquisitor game a while back. It's been a long time or whatever. Uh, and uh, like an Inquisitor like uh, RPG, I think at one point. Um, and I kind of liked reading through all the fluff. So that one actually, um, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh yeah, I, I do, I do like that aesthetic. I do like that it sort of combined. Um, but yeah, so. Admech has a lot of really like what I would call spicy units that just uh-huh. do weird stuff. Like they do weird stuff. Like they have these guys that have electrically charged hands. And so they, they like, they do a lot of damage and shooting at close range and then they punch the crap out of stuff. Um, they have these like uh, drills that go under the ground that are like transports. Uh-huh. They basically allow you to deep strike with them. And then if you charge somebody with a drill, it screws them up. It does a lot of damage. Um, so there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, yeah. One of my good friends, Kyle, who's local here, owns like a million points. I don't know how many points he owns. I think he added it up. I think he owns like close to 100,000 points of, of 40K. So if there's any army you want to try, he's already agreed to like, we can let you try whatever you want. So you can literally just oh. play some games, figure out Sweet. Uh, what, what you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think AdMech would be kind of a cool place to start. Uh, I'm trying oh, to think if there's another. Go ahead. Another, I was just going to say, I definitely am intrigued by the description of the, the ITC scenarios. Those all sound pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. makes, it, makes the game sound good anyway. So, uh, I'm, definitely, game... I'm definitely down for it and excited for a, a test game. I'm excited to hear that. The game is. The game is so good, Josh. Like, I'm not just like saying that. The game is really fun. Um, you know who? Uh, Billy Luz actually is the one that talked me into playing. He's like, John, it's so good right now, and I'm like, ah, it can't be that good. And he just was telling me all this stuff, and I'm like, what? Balance changes? I don't believe you. So I started doing some research, and I'm like, ah, wow, this is like because I, you know, I've always loved their models, and I've always loved their fluff, and I've always hated that their game was garbage. Right, hated it, you know. And then Billy's telling me the game is good, and I'm like, "Well, Billy, you're not that smart, so it's just not probably not possible." And then I started doing my own research, and I'm just like, "Oh man, the game actually is good, near as I can tell." And I started watching a lot of battle reports and just seeing all the different like different things that were winning. And then I'd go to 40kstats.com and you look, and I mean, I don't know if you've you've been there yet, but you you can look, and they've got. Um, win percentages that range from like 60 down to like 40%. So, but a lot of them are in that like high forties to low fifties range. So a lot of the game is pretty, pretty balanced, you know, maybe not perfectly balanced, but it's never going to be right. So that's just not a thing that's possible. Something's always going to be the best. I mean, honestly, for a miniatures game, if you can get almost all your armies in 40 to 60, like I'm fairly impressed. So, yeah. and it, it sounds like GW is maybe not quite there um, from some of the things that I've, I've read, uh, but they, they're probably close. So, Well, interestingly enough, Josh, before the Space Marine release, mm-hmm. was everybody, everybody you talked to was like, this is the best the game has ever been because 
you would you would see the results and something different would win every week. It'd be like Orcs won one week, you know, won a GT, or on the same weekend there'd be like three GTs going. Orcs would win one, you know, uh, Eldar would win another, and then GSC would win another. Um, it was it was insane. Uh, and then they released GSC? Space Marines, and Space Marines were pushed. What's that? What is GSC? Uh, Gene Steeler Cult. So they're like a oh. subdivision of Tyranids. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I know. I know. Fluff buys what they are. Uh, they are, never used to be. They were like always in like the smaller games, like Necromunda and stuff. They weren't a, a whole army back when yeah. I played. Back in the day. <laughs> Way back in the day. Way yeah. back in the day. And uh, the other like really really positive thing that I think about the game is it's so popular right now. Like you could go to a tournament every weekend within like a two hour drive or a three hour drive, something like that. Maybe a little farther, but there's so many events and I'll, I'll sometime we'll sit down and I'll show you just how to use best coast pairings and you can just look for events and, uh, they're, they're all over there. So that's what you showed you me can, at, uh, at renegade, right? Like on your, on your yeah. app, on your phone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that app actually is one of the best parts about the game. Truthfully. I, I so only I think, agree. But when you showed it to me, I was kind of mind blown about it it's pretty awesome you're just like the thing is like they they also support um war machine but war machine doesn't use it for some reason which blows my mind well i had seen that right yeah there's a there's a lot there's a lot of things about about war machine to blow my mind so <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't have to get into that well how about let's uh let's let's close this down as a podcast yeah. i feel like you asked a lot of good questions so I'm, I'm glad for that it was just nice to hang out with you for a little bit um so thank you for yeah. thank you for tuning well, in to another john, john i did have one more question god damn it <laughs> what how does the drakari raise his mast uh, With a winch, yar. That was terrible. Okay. That's all. <laughs> Literally terrible. You loved it. Yeah. All right. Thanks everyone for sitting through uh, probably a really weird episode for you because this is uh, kind of like what Muse on Minis used to be sort of like. Um, it's not very Art of War ish, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> it was a good discussion on 40k and and. Uh, I had a, a, you know, just full disclosure. I've had a lot of people ask me from who listen to the old podcast, just like, Hey, what do you like about 40 K? Should I play it? And I'm like, you know, this is a good excuse to get Josh back on here and um, see if we get some of the, some of the old, old gang back together and just talk about it. So yeah. thank you, Josh, for showing up. Thank you, Trevi for showing up. If you're there. Oh, yeah. I, I heard him. Um, He's here. Yeah, so he's back. So if you guys want to do quick plugs about where people can find you, if they're curious, I think that'd be great. Yeah, sure. You can find my content uh, online at Tactical Tortoise. You can check me out on Facebook at Tactical Tortoise 
and on YouTube on the Tactical Tortoise YouTube channel. Um, I'm on other social media stuff on Instagram and Twitter at Trevi the Great, all one word. Um, and I post a ton of miniature gaming stuff, not just 40K, but a bunch of other stuff, but uh, mostly 40K if I'm honest about it. Um, you can also check out uh, my gaming project, Breachstorm, at breachstorm.com. It's a cool sort of sci-fi skirmish game. Um, it has some unique mechanics in there. So, uh, yeah, if you want to check out something a little lighter uh, that doesn't take as long to play as 40K does, then uh, go look that up. Awesome. How about you, Josh? Where can people find you these days? Well, uh, if you're interested at all in Batman the Miniatures game, which is just about to enter a third edition, you can... Uh, find me, I do weekly to bi-weekly podcasts on the Gotham City Podcast Department or the GCPD, which you can find on Facebook, um, links to various uh, platforms to download the podcast. And then uh, you can always just uh, find me on Facebook and send me a message if you want to like talk about beer or um, bitch about private jet press games. So, you know, whatever sounds good. Amazing. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time. 